and welcome to The Animated Journey, a podcast featuring interviews with animation professionals working in television, film, and games. I'm your host, Angela Ensminger. And I'm Jeff Schutze. And it's great to have you back, Jeff. It feels good to be back. Yeah, it's been a minute. <laughs> Since I've been on the show, been I've been missing while. it. Yeah, yeah, but that's all right. You've been working very hard on yes. some very cool projects. Yeah, yeah, keeping me busy and keeping me paid before San Diego Comic Con because I'm gonna try and take July off just to get ready for it. Excellent, and we will talk more about that in just a bit. But first, the news: there is a lot happening in the world of animation. By far, one of the biggest stories is that. John Lasseter is out. He will not be returning. He's going to be in a consulting role until the end of the year. And his successors are none other than Pete Doctor and Jennifer Lee. Now, y'all will know both of those names. Pete Doctor is the director of Monsters, Inc., Up and Inside Out. And Jennifer Lee wrote and co-directed Frozen. She's also the co-writer for Wreck-It Ralph. And she's an executive producer on the upcoming Ralph Breaks the Internet. Pete will be the chief creative officer of Pixar, and Jennifer Lee is going to be the chief creative officer of Disney, and they are both going to be reporting directly to Disney Studios chairman Alan Horn. So Jeff, what do you think about all of that? I think this is a great decision, and I think both of those people are great choices. I mean, the pedigree between the two of those amazing and i like that they have a woman you know as a creative officer and helping run the show i do too and pete has been part of the brain trust i believe since the beginning Mm -hmm. at pixar and jennifer lee has also been a part of the brain trust over at disney they've worked extremely hard they know what they're doing all power to them i think that disney i think the disney corporation made a really good decision Mm -hmm. with putting the two of them in charge yeah. Look forward to seeing what else is going to happen with all of this. Yeah, I'm glad they made a decision so that this doesn't get drawn out further, you know, that this is how it's going to be. Lester is not coming back to the offices, even though he's going to be a, in a consulting role, I guess, now. Yeah. Next up in the news, Incredibles 2. It's breaking all kinds of records. It earned $180 million at the wow. worldwide box office. This is the biggest opening of all time for an animated feature, and it's the eighth largest opening of all time of any film of any type. Wow. So I know that Brad Bird is happy about this. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that Pixar Disney is happy about this. Yeah. And from what I've heard, the movie's great. Yeah, yeah. Although I will say among a couple of my friends, I haven't seen it yet, but a couple of my friends were like, yeah, not as good as the first one. Still good, but not as good as the first. I can understand that. It's yeah. hard for a sequel to measure up, especially mm-hmm. one that's been so anticipated. I yeah. know a lot of people thought that this was the Pixar sequel they wanted to see. Right. This is the one that everyone just assumed would have a sequel and famously bradbird would say nah not really Mm -hmm. interested i have other ideas other things to do which you know completely understand and so when they announced they were going to do a sequel everyone just went the movie we've all been waiting for and that's a lot of pressure to put on something that's an hour and a half oh man yeah i can't even imagine Mm -mm. because you're, you're right this is the one when someone asks you what pixar movie would you like to see a sequel to the most it's mm-hmm. always the incredibles absolutely so, so when we yeah. both get a chance to see it yeah we will talk about it totally 
And then in more animation news, Apple is in talks to buy the distribution rights for the U.S. and other countries for a yet-to-be-made animated feature from Cartoon Saloon. Mm -hmm. Now, y'all know Cartoon Saloon. They are the masterminds behind Secret of Kells, Song of the Sea, and The Breadwinner. And there's a lot of speculation around why Apple might be doing this. One of them is... Apple's trying to compete with Netflix and Amazon, as all the major companies are. Everybody wants a stake now in movies and content. And if they got the distribution rights, they might possibly want to have a theatrical release so that this movie, whatever it is, mm -hmm. could be an Oscar contender. And this is not actually the first movie that they're planning on making. They have deals for original TV shows and documentaries the first of which are slated for next year. Wow. Yeah, this is great. I'm excited about this. It's going to be weird seeing an Apple logo on a film, you know, in the theaters if it happens. But it's a smart decision. I mean, Cartoon Saloon, they do make prestigious animated movies. So if you're going to get into that game, why not go with someone who makes quality animation? And this excites me because I'm hoping Apple finances more animation that would be awesome if apple becomes this other studio that makes awesome animation is employing animators and artists and all that stuff that'd be great this reminds me a lot of sony mm -hmm. because sony started off as an electronics manufacturer and then they got into making the playstation which mm -hmm. just completely took off oh yeah and now they have you know they do feature films that are live action they have sony animation studios so like you said, it would not surprise me if, you know, a couple of years, Apple Animation Studios, which would be really interesting because oh. I know that people are talking about, well, how would that affect these other studios? But Disney CEO Bob Iger is on Apple's board. Yeah. So all of this is just tied. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Exciting. And, yeah. And speaking of everything being tied together, Disney and Comcast are in a bidding war to acquire 21st Century Fox. Mm -hmm. So... Right now, they had their first bid in December. The original bid was $52.4 Now it's up to $71.3 oh. which is an astronomical amount of money. Yeah. And here's what they would be getting if they win this bid. 20th Century Fox, the film studio, the cable group that includes FX networks, National Geographic, several international channels, regional sports networks, also, Fox's 30% stake in Hulu. Mm. So and for those of you wondering out there, Hulu is actually owned by all of the major media companies. They all have a stake in it. They all pay certain rights to have their shows on you know, several days after original broadcast. So this would be huge. They would yeah. have the largest stake of Hulu. And that's actually one of the reasons why a lot of people think they want this, because as many of you might know, Disney is coming out with their own streaming service next year, but that's going to be family-friendly, Pixar, Disney content. If they had Hulu, they could put everything else. Mm -hmm. So yeah. all their adult content, all their content for teens, everything that's not necessarily family-friendly can all go to Hulu. Mm -hmm. So they would just have all these distribution channels. Yeah. And... I know other people have speculated on this as well, but Fox could be their kind of new Buena Vista arm where Disney remains the family-friendly place to go and Fox is maybe a little bit more teen to adult, you know, content. Mm -hmm. So I'm really hoping that Disney wins this. My primary reason for this is because I want the X-Men to be part of the Marvel <laughs> Universe. 
That's you my main and decision. You want Deadpool. Yes, it would be so awesome. Yeah. I mean, X Men. I feel like because of all the timelines and whatever that's going on right now, they could just reboot that and then have mutants in the Marvel universe, and it'd be so cool because I love the love the mutants. I'm wondering if this will go through because right now the Justice Department filed an antitrust suit against mm. AT and T and Time Warner for mm-hmm. trying to merge. So we'll see what happens. But it just amazes me just how much everything is merging together. And it's yeah. all essentially becoming Disney. It's Disney, yeah. Facebook, Google Corp. So everything is coming together. Everything is merging. Mm-hmm. That gives me pause because, there's yes, there's a lot more content. Yes, there's a lot more shows. But they're all starting to be produced by the same people. Right. So there's a lot less competition so you do run the risk of eventually getting some kind of weird monoculture with Mm -hmm. your ideas but on the business side and this is you know the other reason why we want to report all this to you guys all of us out there are content creators those of you listening to this show you're either working in the industry you want to work in the industry or you used to work in the industry you have a stake in the future of this so i challenge all of you Pay attention to the news. Mm -hmm. Pay attention to the news. Read the news. Watch the news. Follow what's going on in the industry. Follow the key players. Make all of your own original content. Make your own comics. Make your own shows. Make your own shorts. Be business savvy. Learn how to read contracts. Gone are the days where you could just go in and be a pencil with a brain Mm -hmm. and just do the art and go home. You need to be savvy about what's going on in the business world. Because believe me when I tell you, they're savvy about what's going on with art. Yeah. So all of us need to be savvy about what's going on in business so mm-hmm. that we know who we're working for, what they're creating, and are we getting a good deal with this contract? Oh, yeah. And with streaming becoming so important, you got to keep your eye on things like net neutrality and all these things that are going on that's just pushing all this big business stuff. Mm-hmm. Which that neutrality might go away so we'll we'll see see. what happens with all of that and that's another thing pay attention to net neutrality yeah yeah but i think the biggest thing is just make sure you're creating all of your own stuff Mm -hmm. work for the companies absolutely oh yeah great places to work but if you have your own idea if you ever dreamed of doing your own idea Make your own idea. Pitch your own show. Because that's what's going to keep you afloat when everything starts to collide here. Mm -hmm. They're going to be looking for people that can make things. So be that person. Oh, my God. Half the freelance work that I do now is just either YouTubers with their own channels that are... They have a bunch of money now, and so they want, you know, animated openings or whatever... Or they're these smaller production companies that are outside the studio system but need animation or some illustrations or whatever kind of content. But whenever I do it, I'm like, man, I need to have my own production company doing this stuff before, you know, all these little companies get swallowed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So then that takes us to events, events happening around town. On July 18th, over at Gallery Nucleus, they're going to have 
a very special Dam Keeper Volume 2 presentation and book signing. Robert Kondo, who is part of Tonko House, he is one of the founders of that studio. He will be there on Wednesday, July 18th at 7 p.m. And he's going to talk about Tonko House, Dam Keeper, and how they developed the graphic novel. So if you would like to meet him, if you'd like to buy a copy of the book, if you'd like to see everything that he has to talk about about Tonka House, they're gonna have a very special pop-up shop so you can buy some merchandise there. It looks a lot of fun. Cool. Y'all should check that out. Also coming up is the Anime Expo. This one's gonna be at the LA Convention Center July 5th through the 8th, and there's a pre-show on the 4th. I've tabled at this convention with a friend, and it was, so much fun, especially if you are into anime. There's so much cool artwork and low prices on trade paperbacks and manga and all sorts of stuff. Now, as a caveat, I just want to say I didn't do that well at this convention because my style isn't exactly like a manga style and that's what people are looking for. So if you're looking at a table at this, I'll just say it's pretty expensive and if that's your style, maybe you'll do well. But yeah, it was a fun convention. And there's tickets available on anime-expo.org. If you don't have the money, there is also an Anime Expo Mixer and After Party, which is a free event, but you have to get tickets at eventbrite.com. But that is fun as well because I've been to that. As you're meeting other like-minded people, artists, cosplayers the cosplay at anime expo is bananas <laughs> i can picture it yeah i'm just picturing people walking around with giant axes yeah oh yeah there's lots of giant axes lots of gokus you know but a lot of you'll see mechs like people in full-on evangelion outfits wow. or whatever a lot of sailor moon people but yeah fun 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 uh definitely check that out if you're in the la area at that time also coming up is the san diego comic-con July 19th through the 22nd. Preview nights, July 18th. I'll be there. I got my booth number. It's number 1232, 1232, and I'll be in the webcomic section as usual. Yeah, come on by, say hi. I'll be giving out Jeff Bot buttons to the first 100 people, so come by, ask for your button, and give me a high five. It should be fun. Everybody knows the San Diego Comic-Con. It's just insane, and... I hope I survive. You will survive. <laughs> it's a lot of fun, you guys. It's, yeah. it's a really fun time. And even if you're not able to go to the con itself, mm -hmm. there are so many. It's just turned into a circus. Yeah. There's so many activities outside of the convention center that are free mm -hmm. that you can go to now. And there's a ton of art galleries that have special showcases. The last time I was there, the Chuck Jones Gallery had a very cool showcase and they also had a pop-up gallery for Star Trek. Nice. So that was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And all the media companies have tents and they had a whole South Park, mm -hmm. you know, display and yeah. there's so many things to do. So even if you're not going to the con, just go to San Diego. Yeah. Because it's a beautiful place. They have the zoo. They have an art museum. They have lovely beaches. You can go and you can essentially just participate on everything on the outside. Oh, yeah. And there's probably more stuff to do on the outside these days than even on the inside. I remember last year, Cartoon Network had inflatable Finn and Jake and all these <laughs> Adventure Time uh, figures outside the where the railroad tracks are. It's just a lot of fun. Lots of video game companies are there now. Lots of movie companies, oh, yeah. TV. Blizzard had this giant 
giant display in the corner. Oh, it yeah. was huge. Yeah, DC does a lot of promotional stuff down there too, mm-hmm. as well as Marvel. But I heard Marvel and Disney aren't going to be in Hall H this year, I believe. Okay. But it's still a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, they now have D23. I, yeah, I get they the all have their own. I get the style. impression that Disney's now going, we have our own convention. Yeah. We're good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because you're kind of preaching to the choir at these things anyway, so I don't think it's as necessary to be at Comic-Con, but it's an event. It definitely is. Yeah. And that brings us to what we've been watching. So, Jeff, what have you been watching? Right now, I have seen, let's see, Solo. It's probably... Oh! Yeah, I should probably talk about Solo. Yeah, how was that? It was good. I liked it. I know some people are giving it a lot of hate, But I think that's mostly due to a few factors. There was a lot of backlash against The Last Jedi. There was a lot of backlash because of the whole drama behind the scenes of them losing their original directors. And it just seemed like a troubled production. But I think Ron Howard stepped in and actually made a good movie. I was entertained. Also, people were saying the actor that played... Han Solo, Alden Ehrenreich, that he couldn't step in the shoes of Harrison Ford, but who can, you Mm -hmm. know? I think he did a good job that it was enough that he kind of called to some of the mannerisms of Harrison Ford while also making it his own. Okay. So it was fun. I was thoroughly entertained throughout the whole thing. The problems I had with it are the whole... The problems I have with all these prequel movies. With this movie, I, I don't know that I need to see how Chewbacca came up, you know, how Han Solo came up with Chewbacca's nickname, or how Han Solo made the Kessel Run, or how he obtained the Millennium Falcon. I don't need to know. You know, just give... <laughs> I love Star Wars. I just want to see new stories set in that universe. You know, that would be great. Especially when you have such iconic people playing iconic characters i don't think we need to see them played by other people and kind of rehashing these stories i know because solo didn't do quite as well that disney is in talks to revamp their marketing approach and Mm -hmm. how they're doing movies because they were in talks to do a boba fett movie a lando calrissian movie an obi-wan kenobi movie and i believe that those i believe they are going to continue with that but i think that they're currently working on retooling how they're going to be doing that. Yeah. I will say I'm super bummed when the, you know, talk was that they may be canceling sequels to say Solo or canceling the Boba Fett and Obi-Wan movie because the end of this movie ties it into the Clone Wars animated series oh, and that's Rebels. Neat. Yeah, and well, see, so I like the animated series. I, I love feel the, like animated the animated series. The animated series yeah. of these shows are really really well done yeah they're well done and they're well written i have to wonder too have they considered getting the writers for any of the animated shows to write some of the films or having any of the animated shows become their own theatrically released animated films because a star wars rebels theatrically released film would be very interesting oh yeah i'd see that and they released the original clone wars pilot as a movie but 
Yeah, I'm so, I'd be so hyped if they did that. Mm. Yeah. And I want to see where it goes. I don't want to give the spoiler, but it was pretty cool how it ended. <laughs> like this character, I'll just say a character appears that ties it into that whole animated universe too, which is great. That's neat. Yeah. So it was a thumbs up. It wasn't the best, but, and I'd say see it in a theater because there were some cool visuals and stuff and the sound was great. Nice. And then I saw Jurassic World 2. Fallen Kingdom. I really want to hear about this. Okay. Because this movie, to me, just, we were talking about this pre-record, and <laughs> just my idea of this movie was, let's make a dino theme park. Oh, no, everyone dies. You know what we're going to do? We're making another dino theme park. We'll make it even bigger. Oh, no, everyone <laughs> dies. And this one seemed like, okay, we don't have a park. We just have an island with leftover dinosaurs, but there's a volcano. And I'm like, oh, y'all just need to stop. Stop going to these islands with dinosaurs. Nothing good will come of no, this. No. You're all going to die. <laughs> That's so funny because it is a little bit of a, I don't want to say false advertising, but I thought the same thing when I saw that first trailer was that, oh, the plot of this movie is they need to rescue the dinosaurs off this island as this volcano is exploding. Oh, and we should say, spoilers ahoy! Spoiler. They, they're coming. So I won't talk <laughs> about anything too specific that's not addressed in the subsequent trailers. So, yeah, so that's a little of a, that whole volcano thing is just basically the first act of the movie. After that, they ship these dinosaurs to this mansion in the middle of nowhere to be bid on by a bunch of arms dealers, people who want these oh, really? for military is it, is it reasons. Indian again, or is it another company? I don't even know. B.D. Wong, the oh. Asian guy from the original and from Jurassic World, is behind what? making more of these yeah, no, militarized no. dinosaurs. He's kind of the villain again behind but, the scenes. But yeah. he should, he was there for the original part. He yeah. was there. You would think that he of all people would go, hey, you know, this doesn't end well. We yeah. should not do this. It never ends I have well. been there from the beginning. I yeah. have seen all of my coworkers get eaten. <laughs> this is a terrible idea. Yeah, yeah. Nope, he's nope. in on it again. Oh, no. <laughs> Although he's not, you know, the big bad. He kind of has, you know, ulterior motives as well. But so it takes it from the huge scale of, say, Jurassic World, where it's uh, in even bigger part, kind of compresses it down into almost this haunted mansion ghost story with, instead of ghosts, it's dinosaurs. <laughs> There's a kid in it. There's a couple of kids in it, you know, running around. And, you know, so it's a more confined space. But then the end of it kind of opens it up to, oh, well, the next one's going to be bigger than all of them. So, yeah, it almost seemed kind of a in-between movie that I would say... It was fun, but maybe wait for Netflix. The whole time you're talking about it, I just kept thinking, the growl is coming from inside the house. <laughs> it's there. There's a rapture in your closet. <laughs> like, what? No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you've seen the latest trailer where there's, it's called the Indoraptor. It's like a bigger, smarter raptor. Of course it is. It's coming through the window. Like, 
opening the window of this little girl and she's under the covers and it's coming with its claws and is pulling the covers back yeah it's like, what am i watching right now i saw i saw that poster on a bus on oh, the side really? of a bus yeah. and i looked at it and i thought i don't understand what this movie is about at all why is there a dinosaur in a child's room and why is yeah. there a child Looking to what is this? Yeah. I thought they were on an island with a volcano. What's going on? Right. Yeah. I was very confused by that poster. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. So, so, all right. I will bet you lunch right now mm-hmm. that the next movie is the dinosaurs have escaped and they're running rampant through the United States mm. and they have to go to the badlands of Montana <laughs> and they meet the paleontologist who was the inspiration for Sam Neill's character oh, yeah. and they have to just somehow round up all these dinosaurs that yeah. are just running rampant through the city and of course somehow they get to New York because everything does. Yeah, Jack Horner I think his name is. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Are you sure you haven't seen the end of this movie? Oh no! Because... Oh no! Uh, I, oh, I think wow. you've seen this. All right. <laughs> I have not seen this movie. Wow. I yeah. could be a film executive. I think you could. I'm so yeah. excited. A screenwriter. Yeah. Hey, hey, Amblin, give me a call. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a little, you know, little sneak peek or whatever if you wait through the credits if you want to, but it's just kind of a fun little thing. But... Which we've all been trained to do. Yep. Always wait through the credits mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you always get a glimpse of something. Yeah. Yeah. So. Thumbs sideways, I think. Thumbs sideways? Yeah. Sideways thumb. It's like neither yay nor yay. The gladiator will not live or die. He can just right. hang out there for a while. <laughs> yeah. Pending further investigations. Yeah. Yeah, I actually have not been watching anything. Okay. Because I've been very busy and a lot going on. Mm-hmm. But because of that, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts. And I recently started listening to a podcast that I highly recommend. It's mm-hmm. called Business Wars. Mm-hmm. It is fantastic. It's about basically the competition between two different companies and they'll do six to eight episodes on two particular companies and then they'll move on to other companies. So the business war that I recently listened to was Marvel versus DC. Oh, cool. Which was fascinating. I also listened to Adidas versus Nike and now I'm listening to Nintendo versus Sony. And it's all centered around PlayStation because Mm -hmm. what I did not know was that Sony and Nintendo were working together to work on the PlayStation, and the Nintendo pulled out, and then Sony decided, well, fine, we'll just distribute it ourselves. And the story goes from there. And history was made. Yeah, Yeah, so it's fascinating. If any of you are out there interested in business, in particular, if you're interested in entertainment, because Mm -hmm. Marvel and DC, Nintendo and Sony, those are big chunks of our industry now. I recommend the show. All the episodes are very short. They're about 30 minutes. The host is a professional journalist. They do reenactments. There's very fun sound effects. They'll have sometimes interspersed with actual interviews from different people. It's very well produced. I recommend it a lot. I'm going to add that to my playlist. Mm -hmm. With the Marvel versus DC, is it the comic side of it? The movie side of it? TV side? Or is it the whole shebang? both. They start from the very beginning. They start from the creation of Superman all the way to today. Cool. And it's interesting because they talk about you just learn about what the time period was like. Mm -hmm. You know, what was going on just in the world of comics at the time. And they talk about the cultures of both the companies and essentially the reason why a lot of the superheroes are so similar was they had this the comics industry is super small, and so people were just going back and forth, 
Mm. And ideas were being stolen and ideas were being come up with at the same time. And people would get frustrated at one company. Then they'd go to work at the other company and then they'd go back to the company. And the story of these two companies is like a comic book <laughs> because a lot of these people were friends. Mm. And then they became bitter enemies. Oh. And then they were like Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. They got along until they didn't. Right. And just all this different stuff started happening. Yeah. So it's really interesting just how deep it goes. And it carries on into their animated shows and their movies. Wow, interesting. Well, <laughs> I will definitely give that a listen. That sounds I recommend really fun. it. And speaking of business, we are very excited about today's guest because he was absolutely wonderful to talk to. We're talking about Alex Salzberg. Alex is the owner and operator of his own animation studio, Pope Gravy, and he's just great. He's a very interesting person. He's worked on a lot of cool projects with a lot of cool people, a lot of large and small companies. If you've ever wondered not only what is it like to be a creative, but how do you start your own business? Mm -hmm. How do you keep it afloat? How do you pay your taxes? How do you get everything together? This is a great interview. It's actually a two-part interview, so we'll have part one today, part two in two weeks. Jeff, what did you think about it? Oh, I love the interview. It's great because not all of us can go from high school or college or art school right into a studio. A lot of us are doing freelance animation while we are trying to get into those places. So there's a lot of great info here for people doing freelance work you know, to start their own businesses and do animation independently. It's great. Absolutely. So without further ado, we present episode 74, Interview with Alex Salzberg, part one. Our guest today is Alex Salzberg, and Alex hails from, are you from Boston? I am from Boston, yeah. Awesome. I grew up there, and I live there, mostly. That's fantastic, and we're very happy to have you here in beautiful, sunny California. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I came here specifically to be warm, so, you know. <laughs> don't blame you. Yeah. Stan, I used to live in New York, so, yeah, yep. don't miss the cool at all. <laughs> Yeah, so tell us what about yourself. So, like you said, you were originally from Boston? Yes, I grew up in Boston. I went to school in Rochester, New York, and then I went back to Boston. And I live in Boston, but I'm kind of on a road trip now, mostly L.A., a little bit of Hawaii, and spend some time in New York on my way back through. So, yeah, just kind of portable right now. That's excellent, and we will get into all of that, because I'm yeah. very interested in hearing about portable freelance lifestyles. <laughs> me, that sounds great. So growing up, I saw on your site that you and your brother and your friends, you guys spent a lot of time doing comics and cartoons. So let's talk more about that. Yeah, I was very much always doing something creative, usually with my brother and my next door neighbor, who was kind of my other brother. Um, so Adam, my brother, and Ellery, our neighbor, and I would We'd always have some kind of weird project. Sometimes it was like we had a detective agency and we're drawing wanted posters for the fake criminals, which I'm sure were just ripoffs of Carmen Sandiego stuff. Um, <laughs> and we were sometimes trying to like figure out how to make claymation with a little toy camcorder from Toys R Us where we had to just do start, stop, start, stop. Like it didn't have a single frame mode or anything. And then I personally was like really into comic strips. Like I wanted to be a newspaper cartoonist, which is barely a job anymore. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's sad. What were your, some of your favorite comic strips? I really, I mean, I was very into Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, um, yes. 
I got into it initially when I was six from Garfield. Like, mm-hmm. I was really into Garfield. I loved it. It's really, you know, I think adults don't like it as much, but for kids, it's like a really good, like, here's a setup, here's a punchline, the drawings are funny, you know. And then Far Side, I was really into. And then when I got a little older, I really liked Bloom County and oh, yeah. Zitz were really good. Oh, yeah. I remember when Bloom County finally made sense to me yeah. as a kid and going, I understand what this comic yeah. is about now. Yeah, it still doesn't totally make sense to me because it's a lot of like Ronald Reagan jokes <laughs> but I'll still read it sometimes and Doonesbury still doesn't make sense to me it's very well drawn but I still yeah. don't get it yeah there's times I'm like what <laughs> yeah what's happening here I think that was the punchline of a comic that I read once where this guy made this helmet that would help him become smarter. And he was talking about, now I understand this theorem. Now I understand the scientific discovery. And the very last one was, I understood what the last Doonesbury strip I read last weekend was. That's great. Yeah. That's Um, funny about Garfield because I went through the same process. I was like loving it when I was a kid. Yeah. Then as an adult, I was like, that's not good. And then now I love it again. <laughs> yeah, I, kind of, I appreciate it now. Yeah. Like it is, it's really well done. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it's simple. You just have to think of it as kind of for kids. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you guys made your own comic and I saw that you actually, did you put the comic online as a kid? Yeah. So when I was in fifth grade, like very early internet, um, dial up internet. Uh, so Ellery, my neighbor and friend who I'm still friends with, shout out to Ellery if he listens, which I don't know if he will. We'll tell us like, hey, you're mentioned. He has three kids, so I don't know if he has time to listen. But uh, he figured out how to make websites. He was like really into computers, so he was always like tinkering. And I still to this day don't really know how to make a website. Like I know how to use like Squarespace or something, but... He figured out how to make a website, and I had comics and stuff to, like, put on the website, which he didn't really have. So we made a website for my comic, and it had little games about the comic. It had, like, a little page with all the characters. It was probably pretty cute. (laughs) I don't know. And that was when I was in fifth grade. And it's the same URL as my current website. I just never changed it. Like, it's been kind of a through line, because I was like, ah, why change it? (laughs) That's fantastic. And that's something that adults want to do and don't do make their own comic and right. you guys are as children going we can do this let's yeah. just do a thing i don't know how i did it i went i started doing it daily in like eighth grade i think and through most of high school i drew on every day and now i'm like how did i have time for that <laughs> i guess i didn't have a job <laughs> i had school like yeah. i had homework so you made you made the time to do something that yeah. mattered to you. Yeah, it was fun. I really I kind of miss it. I sort of miss cartooning a little bit. Well, maybe you can get into I that know. too. Add that to the bucket of all the other activities. <sighs> yeah, if they can add it. like an extra day each week, I'll do it. <laughs> Very good. So you also mentioned that you went to Rochester Institute of Technology, yes. which many of our previous guests have gone to oh, as cool. well. Yeah. So how did you pick that school? This is not the most inspiring story, but. So my town, I'll just be real honest about it, my town was like very, we had really good schools, but it was really, really high pressure. It was a town that was kind of, everyone was really obsessed with like where you went to college and like juniors and seniors were very, very stressed at our school. Like, oh God, if I get a B, I won't get into Harvard and whatever. And they were like really into it. And junior year, I kind of went through like a very bad period of depression and stuff and the silver lining was that when I came out of it, I still wanted to do well in school and I still wanted to, you know, excel, but I didn't have that pressure of like, I need to go to like a name brand school or like everything's so important. I was like, oh, 
I want to be an animator. I'm going to focus on my art classes. Focus. I also want to be a writer. I'm going to focus on English. I'm not going to take honors chemistry anymore. And next year when I start applying to colleges, I'm not going to overthink it. And so RIT was like the first school I looked at. Their program looked good. I applied and I got in early decision, I think it's called, where like you get in before in the fall I knew I was going. And that was before the deadlines of the other schools I was going to apply to. And I was like, I just don't. I don't want to. I want to be done with this. It looks good. It looks like I'll have a good time there. And that was a big gamble, but I actually did have a good time there. So, yeah. So it's kind of a weird story, but the answer, the short answer is kind of like I didn't want to bother applying to more schools once I got in there. And it did look good. Like, it looked like a good fit. And that's good you mentioned that because, again, I feel like the through line is you were able to figure out what you wanted to do early on. And then once you figure that out, you didn't let the stress of the world right. push you back down, which yeah. is really important, especially for artists, because we hear that all the time. Like we get emails and letters and we hear from people who are just stressing out and freaking out about yeah. this. Yeah. And I think people stress out, too, that like one decision is going to change like their entire path for the rest of their life. And like not everyone comes from a town obsessed with like name brand schools, but even within like, oh, you want to go to art school, so you must want to go to RISD or something. And mm-hmm. it was kind of funny, like, telling people, I'm going to RIT, which is actually, like, in upstate New York, a school that is very name-brand and very good reputation. But in Boston, everyone's like, oh, RIT? Oh, okay. I bet that's okay. You know, it's just like, just because they've never heard of it. And it's this weird culture. But yeah, there's not like one decision that's going to change everything necessarily. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And a lot of what we hear all the time is, and a lot of the lessons we keep getting from this, is that you get what you put into it. Yeah. So it doesn't always matter what school you choose. If you put in the time, you'll get out what you need. Right. I 100% agree with that. And that was a lesson I definitely learned in college. For sure. So then let's talk about college. Okay. Because you made a short film in college. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you do it. I know what's coming. Yeah, you know what's coming. We can talk about whatever else you want. No, I'm happy to talk about this. But I want to talk about this because this helped propel you to where you are now. So let's discuss that film. Absolutely. I assume you're talking about a film called The Men's Room Monologue, which was freshman year. It wasn't even for an animation class. I wasn't even in a class where we had to make an animated film yet. It was a film class. RIT, it's film and animation are combined, and then you kind of head down one path or the other, or a mix for a few people. So I had to make a film for a class, and I had taught myself how to use Flash in high school, and I thought I was super funny and clever at the time, so I was like, (laughs) oh, I'm going to make this little comedy film about bathroom etiquette, and... I'm still proud of it to some degree. I'm not proud of the animation quality. <laughs> but, you know, it's, that was a long time ago. But it was just, like, my voice recorded on much worse mics than this, doing, like, essentially stand-up comedy about bathrooms. Like, oh, stand at this urinal or whatever. And you guys can still find this online, so enjoy. <laughs> um, to your listeners, they can easily find it. Yeah, and I put it out on Newgrounds, and YouTube didn't exist yet. This was 2005. It was like a few months before YouTube started. And it went like super viral Mm. at the time, which was really weird and (laughs) unexpected. So prior to YouTube on Newgrounds, what was that like putting that out and then finding out all of these people were watching it? Was it a really good feeling or did that just feel weird? I think both. I think it was really good. I was very proud of it at the time. I remember feeling good about it. I remember it being really exciting seeing like that counter go up 
It was also exciting having people find it independent of me telling them about it. For like a year or two, if I met people at like a party or something and they were like, wait, you did the bathroom thing, you know? <laughs> and it was on all those old internet sites, like e-bombs world, like, what was oh, yeah. it? Albino Black Sheep, I think, was another one. Like, all those weird video sites that are kind of gone now because of YouTube. Oh, I think Newgrounds is still around. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it kind of just, like, spread around. And then I started getting, like, a lot of emails. Because, like, my email is just right under it on the thing. You know, I didn't know, you know. So, yeah. It was mostly a good feeling. And I mostly got really good feedback about it at the time. Yeah, That is good. So, you have some very good, very early success doing something completely independent from school. Yeah. You go through school. What was the rest of your time in school like? It was great. I mean, I think, so RIT had pros and cons as a program, like I'm sure any of them do. I think some of us as 2D animators got frustrated because it seemed like they didn't really know anything that was going on in TV animation. And then it also felt like a little bit artistically, they really wanted us to make very artsy indie films. And my sensibility was very much like I wanted to make dialogue-driven comedy animation. And I remember pitching my senior thesis, which was like very dialogue-driven. And I remember one of the professors, I I won't call him out by name, but uh, (laughs) saying when you, you had to pitch it to like a group of teachers, I imagine a lot of film schools are like this. I remember him being like, this uh, this feels a lot like The Simpsons. Is that the kind of work we want coming out of our school? And like, why not? Yeah, the I was Simpsons like, Simpsons is amazingly yeah. popular and great. I wanted to be like that show everyone likes. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so that's... running forever now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and he ended up really loving the film, and he actually gave it like an award and stuff. So like, I was kind of like, okay, he came around. Yeah. So, um, so I proved him wrong. <laughs> yeah. So there was a little bit of that, but I really, I had some really good professors who were like great mentors for that. I really learned how to work hard. I wasn't the only good artist in my town, but I grew up in a small town and I was the only one doing animation and cartooning. So I was like very much a big fish in a small pond. And then I went to a school where everyone is doing animation and cartooning. (laughs) And a lot of them were better than me and are still better than me. And I had to be like, oh, I have to actually work hard. I can't just draw a cartoon and have everyone be like, whoa, nice job, you know? (laughs) So I actually learned to really put in the time and effort. So I mostly had a good experience. I'm proud of most of like the films I made and... At the same time, people were emailing me to do freelance work because of that bathroom video. And that is actually what started my kind of like career of building my own business. So it's like kind of happening at the same time. That's fantastic. So let's get into your own business. So was that something that you had ever thought of doing, having your own business? Or had your dream been... I want to work in television animation, maybe pitch a show or maybe work in feature. Yeah, I think I assumed... I would go a more traditional path before college. I think I just had it in my head that like, oh, everyone... I didn't even really think about TV animation until college. I think I just thought, oh, I'll go to college, I'll get really good at animation, and then I'll work at Disney, you know, like, <laughs> which is did. like, what, which is what a lot of people think about animation before mm-hmm. they get into it. I mean, I still yeah, have... That was me. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to work at Disney. That's why I'm going to school. Right, exactly. End. And... And I even thought, and like even in school, I started taking 3D animation classes because I was like, oh, Disney is not making 2D animation anymore, so I need to learn this. And I hated it, and I stopped. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love 3D animation. I love watching it. I don't like making it. And I, I concur. Don't, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got into rigging. I'm like, oh, nope, nope. Yeah. Nope. It's like, I'm going to leave this to the professionals. Good job. Yeah, one thing our school did, they did modeling first, mm-hmm. then rigging, then animation. And I think by the time we got to animation, which I maybe would have liked... I was, like, completely scared off from it. I think I always dream, like, maybe in, like, 
40 years, I'd have my own Disney, you know? <laughs> but people started emailing me and being like, hey, we'll give you, insert extremely low amount of money here to make a sequel to Men's Room Monologue or to make another animation for us. And I was doing stuff for like National Lampoon and Cracked and some other like websites at the time. And then when I got out of school, by that point, I really wanted to get into TV animation. But there was only one company <laughs> in Boston doing TV animation and... I sort of thought, oh, maybe I'll eventually move out to L.A., but I wasn't ready yet at that time. I was just like, I'm going to stay in Boston for a little bit. I didn't get a job at the company in Boston doing TV animation or a couple of other studios in Boston, but I had a few clients left over from college that were kept hiring me for freelance work. So I started just like continuing to do that and teaching at an after-school program, which took up about half of my time. And then about four years later... I felt like I had enough clients to actually go full-time with the animation business. Okay. So when you went full-time, because we have a lot of people that want to do freelance. Jeff does freelance full-time. And then we've had several other people on the show that do freelance full-time. So for those out there who want to do it, how did you actually do it? Like, what's the nuts and bolts of making sure that you succeed at this? That's a really good question. I want to ask other people that question. (laughs) I want to hear the answer. Yeah. (laughs) We'll talk. No, uh, I mean... It was definitely a big gamble, and I will also add that, you know, I am privileged to have, like, a safety net. If I needed to go live in my parents' basement, I could. I haven't had to yet, but I have had to, like, you know, I did have to, like, borrow money occasionally at the beginning of starting a business and things like that. The other thing is I didn't entirely abandon my other sources of income. So, like, I was teaching half the time and animating half the time, and now to this day I teach a little bit here and there just to have, like, extra income. So I kind of, I sort of wean myself off of like the other income a little bit so that I had that safety net. And like teaching is really good. If you can handle kids of any age, I recommend (laughs) teaching to any artist because there, in my experience, is no shortage of chances to teach some kind of art, whether it's an after school program, a summer camp. They always need people to watch kids because parents do not want to watch them all day (laughs) (laughs) or can't, you know, and so like there are always chances. If you don't like kids, you know, I would say just don't feel like you're not a real animator just because you're doing some other side job too, you know, like I've, I've had people be like, oh, I wish I could like be an animator and not just be like working at the supermarket. I'm like, if you're doing some animation, you are an animator. It's okay to, it'd be nice if animation paid a lot, but it doesn't always. The other thing is you constantly have to be looking for work. And that is a huge pain. But if you can get in a good rhythm with it and get used to that, that helps keep it going. Okay. But that's like definitely a big part of the business. Just constantly trying to get more work, which sounds horrifying, but it can be kind of fun too. So let's talk about your business. So your business yeah. is Pope Gravy, and you guys can find it at PokeGravy.com. Uh, yes, PokeGravy.com. That has like a lot of my work, including the stuff I do for clients. And yeah, I would say at the moment, Poke Gravy, I kind of call it Poke Gravy Studios, is sort of the business side of it that I do stuff for companies. I'm like smaller than a studio, but like slightly bigger than a freelancer at the moment in that I have sort of a rotating team of people who tend to work for me who are also freelancers. None of them full-time or on a regular schedule, but most projects I do now are more than just me working on them, which is really cool and its own challenge. I do all kinds of different stuff. A lot of my clients are startups that want like tech videos, so like or explainers they call them, like Bob needs a solution for his server company and this is Bob, they're always named Bob or Steve. I'm like, oh, I was wondering, can we get like a different name? <laughs> Just, you know, it's always the same dude named Bob. But uh, <laughs> when I write them, I try to think of better names. 
but yeah, you, I have a lot of that. I've done a lot of like music videos. I've done some educational stuff. And then I have a few sort of video production companies that will give me their animation work, which is good. And that's another really helpful thing for me has been partnering with companies that need an animation company to work with so that I'm not always the one finding clients. Sometimes they're like, we have a client for you. And, and then I also will do on the side some like freelance work for some of the Boston animation companies and things like that. Okay. Yeah, and I saw that too. You've also done work for MTV. You've done things for Nickelodeon. You've done yeah. things for EMC Squared and DreamWorks oh, yeah. TV. Yeah. Those are all, I mean, again, a lot of that has been like, you know, the MTV thing was a pilot that two friends of mine in Boston were working on. And the Nickelodeon thing was someone I went to school with was the director on a Nickelodeon game show and they needed more animators. So I went out and did that. So like a lot of the work I get is just like, it feels random in that it's very varied, which I love. But it's a lot of just making it known that I am willing to do all kinds of random fun cartoon jobs. And then hopefully people think of me when they need someone. Sounds good. Let me ask you then, because you said that you get a rotating team of people to come and help you. Yeah. How did you find the right team members to help you? (laughs) As opposed, because everyone knows, you know, really cool people that fun to hang out with, but you wouldn't necessarily want to work with them. Sometimes it is friends that I've known from school, like definitely starting out freelancing. Sarah Johnson, who's been on your podcast, has done work for me and some other friends. I think I found one or two people initially on Craigslist. And then I'm usually most interested in definitely if they can get stuff done on time, because usually with freelance work, you need it yesterday. It's really important to me that people communicate well. And then I tend to just look for people who, the work I do, like, I'm less interested in something looking, like, exactly on model or exactly perfect. I look for people who have, like, a very cartoony sensibility, because then I feel like they could kind of jump into, like, the world of the stuff that I do, which is, I would describe as very cartoony and, and silly. And then, like, if I work with someone and they're good, it's always easier to work with the same person again. So, like, if someone is good, generally, I will keep going back to them. That sounds great. Yeah. That's then, a good lesson for yeah. freelancers or people looking for work is mm-hmm. that do a good job, get it done on time, yeah. and that leads to more work. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody wants to find anyone new. It is a pain to find new people. So if you have good yeah. people, and like, I would say more than half of my jobs right now are return clients mm. because they don't want to find anyone new either, you know? <laughs> it is much harder to start over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As opposed to going, Alex did great last time. He's going to yeah. do, you know, great this time. Just hire Alex. It's great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And like, it's also helpful, you know, sometimes the first job someone does for me, I do have to take a little more time to like show them like, here's how I organize files or like, here's how I like eyes to be animated or whatever. Any, any of those little things. But that helps because in the second time I hire them, I don't have to tell them any of that stuff. I can just be like, all right, you know what I like. <laughs> just go ahead and do it. You know? Have you ever had to fire a client or very politely tell a client, you know, thank you very much, but no, we can't take this on right now? I rarely, if the job seems good and pays well and the client seems good, I rarely say no to work, unless it's something I don't do, like if it was like 3D animation. But because I have sort of my rotating team of people, I can kind of expand to do more projects. It's still more work, like producing them all can be overwhelming. But it's not like I have to be like, oh, well, I'm the only animator, so I can only animate this much a week. I have quit jobs from sort of nightmare clients, which I've been pretty lucky not to have too many nightmare clients. I've had like a few 
I've had mostly really amazing clients, including all of my clients right now, if they're listening. Which is true, actually. They are all really good right now. I've had a few annoying clients, but that ultimately are fine. If they pay on time and the work is fun, like, I can handle an annoying person. (laughs) It's kind of that Venn diagram of like, all right, if one thing is missing, you know. But I have quit a job or two. There's one that particularly comes to mind where the person really treated me very disrespectfully and was very, like, threatening about, like, payment and very angry and additionally very rushed and stuff. And I eventually left that job. I felt bad. Like, I I felt like I gave him too many chances. It was a few years ago and I was kind of just getting started and the money was good. And so, like, I think it's really easy to fall in these patterns where you're like, well, I need this money or, like, I need the work. I'm never going to find another job and let people mistreat you. But, like, I found out through the grapevine he was, so he was a video production company and he was very, very nervous about losing his client. And it's that thing of people tend to pass stress down the line Mm -hmm. so like he was so stressed out that he was taking it out on me and you know I made a mistake on something that he didn't catch until like two weeks later and then needed it fixed within an hour and I'm not his employee I'm a freelancer I was like oh I can have this fixed by tomorrow and then I forget the exact words but he said something along the lines of like well I'm gonna dock the time he was like I have to pay my video crew for this time so I'm gonna dock that from your pay wow and I was like so yeah and that was the second or third time he'd said something along those lines so I just sent him an email that was like I quit you're not treating me with any respect I don't need this but yeah people tend to and this is something I try to be really careful about and I'm sure I failed at but when I I work with people, I try not to ever pass my stress to them because it drives me nuts when people do that. I try to be like, all right, if I'm stressed about a deadline, I can say, hey, this is the deadline. But I don't say like, hey, I need you to do this because I'm freaking out, you know, because that doesn't help anything. That is sound advice. Just, <laughs> you have to be calm within yourself. And right, be calm right. And kind to your, you know, everyone else you're yeah. working with. Yeah, it's hard. So I I really try, anytime a client annoys me, I try and be like, okay, this is something I'm not going to do to someone else. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure there are things I annoy my animators with that they're like, if I ever hire someone, I won't do what Alex does, you know. No, but it's good that you're cognizant of that and that you think about that because we don't always think, just yeah. as people in general, not just as artists, we don't always think about how is our behavior affecting other people right, and affecting right. what they then have to do. Right, and I think it's so important. And I think especially within the animation community, which has been, in my experience, mostly a really friendly community. I don't know, I think it's really important to treat other like animators the way you'd want to be treated because you never know when that person might hire you for something, you know? Mm-hmm. It might be sooner than you think, because as we've discovered, the industry is amazingly small, Mm -hmm. which never ceases to baffle me. It is tiny. It is. It is crazy. In a good way, but also kind of scary. (laughs) Yeah, in a way that's kind of like rock and roll high school. Like, wait a minute. How do we all know each other? This is nuts. You can always play the do you know game with other animators, and there will be at least five people there. Oh, I went to school with that person. Oh, I worked on that show Mm -hmm. with that person, or, you know. Yeah, I have a... uh, former podcast guest who was the roommate of one of my coworkers now. Oh, really? He's like, how? Always. How is this a thing? And I don't even live in LA and I somehow know everyone here. Exactly. So you're like, wait, this is great. A whole new network of people. Yeah. But like yesterday, we went to an event. <laughs> Turns out we knew like 10 people oh, there. Oh, yeah. You knew so many people. Even when we went to dinner back in a different city, you ran into someone you knew. I was like, how do you know all these people? Yeah. Be friendly, everyone. Oh, yeah. Oh, totally. I completely agree. Like, 
I think it's so important to just be nice to everyone. I mean, I think that about life, but, and I know for some people it doesn't come as naturally to be like social, but I think if everyone is like supportive, Mm -hmm. I think that's Mm -hmm. the most important thing. I owe probably most of my success to other people who supported me. So yeah, let's talk about some of the triumphs then, and then some of maybe the misconceptions about business. So yeah, totally. What are some of the things about running your business that you weren't expecting that you genuinely love that you just found out, oh, this Um, is amazing? I really like the sort of producing side of it. Like, I actually like the, oh, how do I break down this project into, like, tasks? And I like the weird sort of organization side of it, which I think if you'd maybe asked me 10 years ago, I'd be like, no, I just want to be an artist, you know? (laughs) But I really like, I like the feeling of building a project. So not just, like, drawing the project, but actually building it, being like, okay, so, like, if this awesome voice actor does this voice, and then, like, this animator, oh, he'd be really good at animating this scene with the fire. And then, like, I'll give this scene to this animator, and I really want to do this part. That feeling of building it together I really like I also kind of I don't love the constant feeling of having to look for work but I do like that sort of there's kind of that rush of like landing a job which is really exciting so any week that a new thing is starting I'm like kind of excited because I'm sort of like oh I got it I like we got it to the point we figured out the price we figured out the contract we figured out what I'm gonna do and I'm usually really excited about that so yeah those are probably the things that I didn't think I'd be so into that I really like and then what are misconceptions about running a business that either you had or that when people meet you they go oh you run your own business and they might think it's one way and you're going no there's other things yeah (laughs) let's see a misconception i had that i think a lot of people have with whether it's like more of a business or whether you're just sort of doing freelancing on the side or any level of sort of doing work and i think any freelancer is running their own business like it's there's sort of it's a gray area like there's not like necessarily a difference between saying like i'm a freelancer or i have a business because it is a business you're providing a service for money so a misconception i had was that there's like a one-to-one ratio between like time and money or like time and the amount of animation I can do. And if you keep going that way, you're never going to feel like you have a. you're either never going to have enough time or never going to have enough money because you're always going to just be saying like, oh, well, I animated for five hours, so I get five hours of money for that or whatever. And there's all these hidden costs of like the time it took you to get that job is part of it. The time that you spend after the excitement of landing the job, the time you spend panicking about how am I going to get this done? (laughs) That is part of it. And that's okay that that's part of it. Like you, that's part of the artistic process and not in like a glamorizing, like anxiety way of like, oh, I'm an artist. I'm, you know, have problems. But like, (laughs) but just in like, that's part of it. I do sometimes need a day to just be like thinking about it before I even put pen to paper. So if you're building your business and you're only thinking of, oh, okay, so if I can do a minute of animation a week and they pay me this much per minute, I can pay my bills, you're going to sort of burn out because you're not always going to have a minute. You have to think of it more as what do I need to be, and it's not all about money, but like what do I need to be making as a whole to have the life that I want to have. Where do I want to live? What do I want to do in my social life? Whatever. What are my bills? What are my expenses? And you have to be thinking of that as a whole with like, all right, how much time and energy do I want to be spending looking for work and doing animation? And so I guess the short version of that is I learned that mental energy is also a huge resource that can deplete not just time and not just money. You have to think of like all of it as a whole, if that makes sense. Makes Mm -hmm. a lot of sense. And I think that's something most people don't do. In fact, I think you're one of the first people we've heard on the show actually break that down. (laughs) 
Good. I'm so, happy to. Yeah. yeah. So that, I, that's good. I feel really strongly about it because mm-hmm. it's something I can look back at, like, and I can remember probably like the month to the day of like different times that I've burnt out because we've all had that. We, I mean, maybe not. If not, congratulations. But um, <laughs> we've all, or good luck, because uh, <laughs> it will happen. But we've all burnt out at some point or another, and it can be really, really tough. And I feel really strongly that the more you can do to avoid hitting that burnout point, the more work you can get done. And like, you know, I'm someone and not everyone is like this, but you can see from, I mean, you saw my site and like all the different things I do. I like filling my time and my life with all these different fun projects. And I like, I sometimes say yes to too many things like, oh, you want to do a podcast? Yeah. Oh, you want, not this podcast. I mean, (laughs) the one I'm doing with friends. Um, Oh, you want to do events? Yeah. I say yes to so many things, but I don't burn out nearly as hard or as often these days because I make sure to keep track of that mental energy too and physical energy of just like being awake drawing but you know it's not like Mm -hmm. I'm like doing a lot of heavy lifting in any given day but mental energy can go away so fast. Do you set specific times for yourself to just be able to decompress and relax and spend time with family and friends? Um, Yes, I try to. There is that thing, especially when you work at home, of having that blurred line of like, if I'm sitting on the couch and my laptop's over there or my tablet's over there, I'm like, I could be catching up on that thing. I could be working. I really try to work similar to a nine to five Monday through Friday schedule. That doesn't mean that on the weekends I don't work on other fun projects or do stuff that relates to my career. But on like client work or stuff with deadlines, I try to fit it into a more regular schedule so that when I am relaxing at night with friends or going out to dinner or whatever, I'm not feeling like I should be working. Um, And I try to really set those boundaries with the people I work for too, because I work for a lot of startups and a lot of them don't do the Monday through Friday thing. And I work for people on different time zones and things. So I try to make it really clear, like if they're emailing me something on a Friday, I set that boundary early. I say, great, I'll get back to you Monday, things like that. And that has been really, really helpful because I used to not do that. And it was terrible. (laughs) That was a burnout point for me when I was working. And I felt like a cool, we have this culture of, oh, if you're a cool entrepreneur, you like just live and eat and sweat your work. And that's the only way to show that you care about it. And that didn't work for me. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, I'll just flat say, don't do that. You guys, it's like, that's just dumb. To be honest with you, because we do that. Every artist I know does that. Yeah. I do that. It's not a good way to go because then you just, like you said, use up all of your energy like that. And then even when you try to get out of that, you're sitting with your friends. You're like, I have nothing else to talk about. Right. Exactly. Exactly. This is like, did I have I read a book? Have have you guys read a book? (laughs) What's a book? I know. It's like you just get sucked into it. It's like a vortex. Exactly. Oh, 100 percent. You know, it doesn't mean you if you're excited about a drawing, stay up late and work on the drawing. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. But like if you're sitting there and you're enjoying the TV show you're watching and you're with your friends or your partner or whatever, like, don't be like, oh, I didn't do a drawing today to post on Twitter or whatever. Like, it's okay. (laughs) You don't have to. Yeah. Being an artist doesn't mean you have to constantly be drawing, like, in your sleep. You can be an artist and do a painting every January. I mean, I don't know how this would work financially, but (laughs) I just mean, like, as an identity as an artist. Mm -hmm. Maybe you make an animation once every 10 years. That's fine. (laughs) How do you negotiate time?
time with clients and their expectations because I run into that all the time where they are like, oh, I need yeah. this tomorrow. And it is hard to say, well, tomorrow's Saturday, so you'll <laughs> yeah. get it on Monday. How do you talk to them about that? It is really hard. And I'm very much a people pleaser personality mm -hmm. in life as well as in business. And a big thing for me has been separating that from the business because like that doesn't work in mm -hmm. business or it works for the clients because then you're doing everything they say. Really, the most important things I do, one is like setting the schedule ahead of time mm. and so that everyone's on the same page is really, really important. I found a huge lesson that if a client says, oh, there's no deadline, it's fine. That is a trap. The only client to ever fire me was a client who said, oh, there's no deadline. And two weeks later, he said, why isn't it done yet? And Ugh. I noticed this was going back to that passing the stress down the line. I noticed he had replied to me but accidentally like forwarded the email from his boss going why isn't it done yet and I'm like oh I see what's happening and he started screaming at me on the phone and I was like okay I quit I didn't want to be yelled at you know yeah. and so that was a two days earlier he was very zen about the deadlines <laughs> um, so set yeah setting deadlines ahead of time and then some of it is this sounds weird but like Sometimes I feel like I'm sort of training clients. So like, mm -hmm. this is a weird thing, but if I am checking my email and while I'm checking it, an email pops up from say client A. And if you're listening clients, sorry that I do this, but <laughs> you'll understand when I explain why. I will wait till the next time I check my email to respond to that so that I don't seem like someone who responds right away. I think it's important part of running a business is responding in a reasonable amount of time, like within a few hours sometimes during the day. But, and also just for my own personal sanity, I try to only check my email like intentionally and not just like have it up in the background, which doesn't work for every kind of business. But I tell myself there are no cartoon emergencies. <laughs> like, <laughs> What could possibly pop up in my email that I can't deal with in two hours, you know? Right. And then like when I have a new client, I'll slip it in very casually, but I'll have sort of a little spiel usually on a phone of like, so moving forward, and it's when I'm saying, like, I'll do, like, a storyboard and then this, and I'll always slip in, like, I tend to work, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five-ish hours. That's usually the best time to reach me. If you email me during that time, I'll usually get back to you by the end of the day. If you want to do a phone call, let's schedule a call. I screen every call from clients. Like, I'll never pick up because I never want to be caught off guard not knowing how to answer a question. And so any call will be scheduled pretty much. Okay. So yeah, so I, I really just set boundaries and I've rarely, if ever run into anyone who's like pushed against those boundaries and been like, no, we want to call you whenever we want. I'm sure I will someday, but most people kind of understand because I think those clients probably envy you if you do that. They're like, oh, I wish I could set boundaries. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so but yeah, definitely the more that is set up front on deadlines, the better. Because like if they know they're going to get a storyboard from you on March 13th, Mm -hmm. then when they're panicking, they still might send you, I still will get, might get an email March 8th, like, how's it coming? Because they've probably worked with other people before who have failed them, and that's too bad. I can just be like, it's good. I'll have it on March 13th. And I don't have to be like reassuring them or doing any kind of other thing. I can just be like, as promised, we'll have it March 13th. It's on track, you know? Mm -hmm. It's a good way to go. I love it. Boundary yeah. setting. It took a long time to get there. I had many years of no boundaries with clients, and yeah. it was a recipe for burnout, for sure. Good. Not the burnout part does not sound good, but the boundaries <laughs> yeah. sounds wonderful. Yeah. Oh, and one more thing to add. When you schedule a phone call, schedule a beginning and end time of the phone call. Because I have mm. some I've had some chatty clients over the years <laughs> and it's easier to be like, oh, well, okay, I, it is 8.15 now or whatever. <laughs> That's really early to have a call. Yeah. But, <laughs> you know, 
Do you always set the amount of revisions and all that stuff before? Because I know a lot of clients, they love to revise. They get the thing and then it's like, oh, you know, little nitpicks. Oh, can we change this? Can we change that? It's like, that's not really what we agreed on. We already agreed on this. And now you're trying to change the parameters of this animation or the short, whatever you're doing. Yeah, I try to be really clear about that. So I tend to like to do especially for like shorter, like corporate explainer type things. Mm -hmm. I like to do, when I submit them a storyboard, I do it as an animatic that has as close to the final timing of the thing as possible. And I tell them all the things that cannot change once they approve it. I say, in the example I always tell clients, I say, okay, if I send you back the final animation and you say, oh, maybe like you could move that logo over like a few pixels or like maybe the hat on the background could be red instead of blue. I'm like, that I could change. But if you say you want a different camera angle or if you say the cat should now be a dog, that will mm-hmm. cost extra. And like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really clear about once they approve stuff. And then the other thing is I do limit rounds of revision because some clients will tinker. And what they don't realize is that every time they give you like, oh, I just thought of this, I just thought of that. You still have to export it and send it to them and send an email and that time adds up. Mm -hmm. So I'll do usually like three rounds of revision at each stage and I tell them that it has to be in writing so that they're not just calling me and being like, another thing, another thing, another thing because I have those clients who tinker. Um, And I'll say like, include everything you want changed. Like go through a couple of times and look. Mm -hmm. Don't just think off the top of your head. And again, anytime I've set boundaries, people usually respond well to it to the point where like those clients tend to be really different to that like I'll have them be like oh I thought of one more thing is it okay or is it gonna cost extra and then I'll be nice I'll be like oh it's okay yeah I'll add that you can add that to the list that won't be a new round but like just having those things set and it's all in writing and I always have a contract yeah and actually I want to go back to I had I thought of my other answer to your question the contract reminded me a misconception a lot of other people have about freelancing or starting a business is that you need some kind of law slash accounting slash business degree to do it. And I'm very much self-taught in a lot of those things. I've obviously asked advice from friends and I hire an accountant to do like taxes and stuff, but there's not some... Like, you don't, first of all, you don't need, as far as I know, maybe cut to me in jail in a year. But you don't, no, you don't, you don't need, like, a special license to sell cartoons to people. Like, you just need to have a computer and know how to email files to people. So, like, the bar of entry is low. And as long as you take that stuff seriously enough, you don't need a lawyer to approve every contract. You don't need, you know, there's software that you can use to do accounting. You can figure it out as you go along. And you have to be ready to make mistakes and stuff. But there's not... I don't have any special knowledge. I have a lot more experience, but I didn't have any special knowledge that other artists didn't have coming out of college. I had an animation degree like everyone else, you know? Did Um, you have a lawyer draft your first contract or did you just kind of come up with a contract that you use as you've been doing this? I've just kind of developed it as I went. I think the first contract I ever made, I think I, um, sorry, National Lampoon, if you're even still around, I think I copied and pasted theirs that they had for me mm-hmm. and just like changed a few things but mostly I've just like kind of developed it over the years it's not super legalese it's more just like an agreement that both parties are signing you know I'm sure that there are contracts that maybe would hold up even more in a court of law if they were drafted by a lawyer or notarized but I've worked with like studios that just do their contracts over email and just say respond I agree yeah. the important part is having it in writing I really I haven't had to deal with any contract disputes yet, fingers crossed. Yeah, I've run it by like friends who know law or have been mm-hmm. to law school and been like, hey, does this look okay? And they're like, yeah, it's all in there. So 
Cool. Yeah. So that's kind of the other myth. I think people are like, wait, how do you run a business? And like, I think they're picturing me with like a visor and like an adding, <laughs> an adding machine and like somehow. And like, I'm like, I don't know. I, I do it the same way I do art. Like I make it up as I go along and I figure things out and I learn from it. And yeah. to me, that's exciting. I think other people maybe hate that stuff, but I like figuring out, oh, this is how I do my taxes. <laughs> yeah. this is, I don't actually like doing taxes. I don't want that to be a myth about me. But. <laughs> I like learning stuff, mm. you know. Yeah, and that's important. You know, if you want to do this, you have to also enjoy the parts that are not specifically the art yeah. part of it. Or at least, even if you don't super enjoy it, <laughs> know enough about it to either know, right. yes, I can do this myself, or no, I should get an account. Right. Or yeah. I should ask other people to make sure this is correct. Yeah, well, and that's really important. Know what you really don't like doing. So, like, there are a lot of things I'm like, okay, so ideally, if I can delegate this part I will and I don't always get to but ideally like and you know for instance yeah I have an accountant do taxes for me every year because I was like oh wait I really hate doing this and this is actually more affordable to have an accountant do and things like that Mm -hmm. and that's a very direct piece of advice just hire an accountant it's only like two hundred dollars and they know how to do taxes way better than you and you just hand them a pile of paper and they do it so (laughs) highly recommend if you're a freelancer and you might get some money back that you yeah. wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Absolutely. Your accountant will find things for you to get back that right. you did not know you could do. So That is awesome. Shout out to my accountant, <laughs> who I have to meet within a couple weeks. <laughs> He'll be like, just so you know, I said very nice things yeah. about you. <laughs> and that concludes part one of our interview. Special thanks to Alex for being a wonderful guest. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, make sure to leave a positive review in iTunes. All of your reviews help more and more people to find out about the show, and you can also support the show by visiting www.theanimatedjourney.com and clicking on the PayPal donation button. All of your donations directly go to helping us pay for the website and all the technical costs associated with the show. And thank you so much to everybody who has donated. We really appreciate it. And to see what else is going on in the world of animation, make sure to check out our Facebook page, facebook.com slash theanimatedjourney. On Tumblr, the site is theanimatedjourney.tumblr.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, the handle is at animjourney. And Jeff, where can people find you? People can find me at jeffbot.com. They can also find me at jeffbot, one F, J-E-F-B-O-T, on Tumblr and Twitter. And they can find me at shootzee, S-H-O-O-T-Z-E-E, on Instagram. Where can they find you? And to see what I've been up to lately, you can visit my website, www.sketchysoul.com. On Tumblr, the site is sketchysoul.tumblr.com. And on Instagram, the handle is at sketchysoul. So tune in next time for another great episode. And until then, be encouraged and have a great day, everybody. Bye.